I am very excited to welcome Josh Putnam from So Awake to today's interview. I met Josh through a mutual friend of ours out in Colorado and was just struck by his clarity of vision and his ability to uh, to express that clarity. And he has a website where he teaches non-duality and, um, and awakening uh, called soawake.com. So today is going to be a conversation about those things. Strangely, talking about non-duality and talking about awakening uh, is never a direct route. So if you feel like you get lost at any point, take a deep breath because we might just be lost with you. <laughs> Welcome, Josh. How are you, my friend? It's good to see you. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's a beautiful morning here in Colorado. There's a, a blue sky after a pretty recent snowstorm. I'll have to send you a picture of these mountains, but it's like... You don't. I actually just saw it before I was checking my Instagram before oh. I got on here. And if you do not follow Josh on Instagram, you should, because <laughs> there isn't just the the like top notch meme game, which mwah, chef's kiss, such good memes. Uh, he posts photos from his beautiful uh, home in Colorado, and it was. The wait, don't let the, the Mount Blue Sky. Nice, ah. nice. Yes, nailed it. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was where you took that picture. What like grabbed me when I walked into your house? Mm. Those aspens were just all going hello, 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 with the mountains behind it, and I was just I was so blown away. That place is alive. Uh, wow. Yeah, and the snow looked gorgeous. Did you get snow where you are? Yeah, uh, it, it's uh, it's interesting. At this elevation, we'll get some snow, and then it'll melt off. Um, and so it's kind of melting off now, but the mountains are holding the snow, and it's just such a beautiful contrast with that white and the texture in the mountains with that blue sky. <laughs> yeah, wow. So, Josh... Um, your manner of acceptance of life comes through in everything you do, everything you say, everything you teach. Did that just like drop into your lap one day? Or what? How did it get there? How did you get to being the 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 person who? is so accepting of what is now. Yeah. Um, I guess we could say in a way, if we were to look at a moment that something may have happened or not happened, a moment where there seemed to be something that shifted, let's just put it that way. Uh, it felt like it just kind of did happen really suddenly. Um, yet if I'm looking at more of a breadth of the story, it, it was, there's definitely some precursors there. Um, having a background in acting, there was a lot of uh, looking at ego and, and the mechanisms of identity and how it's always about what can I get out of this situation. And when, when studying acting, it became really clear that a lot of the mechanisms and when you're pursuing a character and you're going after an objective, um, it's about what can I get this other character to do for me? What can I get them to do? And so there, there definitely was a view of how identity was functioning. And there were times where I was like, well, that's an interesting thing that doesn't seem to be me. Um, but it, it just, there wasn't any clarity at that point. And I had kind of been in a, just a pretty tough spot in life, had just broken up with a girlfriend at the time. And I was just kind of done. I had reached a place of apathy where even the idea of like harming myself or, you know, killing myself, that seemed like too much work. I just didn't really care about anything. And I got an invitation uh, to go to a one day meditation retreat in a part of Denver where you usually wouldn't have that kind of thing going on. Um, that would usually be Boulder or something. And this was Commerce City, which is, uh, you know, it's the same place where we have an oil refinery. So 
there was this intellectual debate of even going. Is she selling me into sex slavery kind of thing? <laughs> it was, that was a natural thought because I'm like, yeah, but there was something else. It, it was, it was a very powerful feeling of like a magnetic pull to go. And that, I didn't know why, even though the thoughts were like, don't go this guy with a backstreet boys t-shirt um, after knocking on the door. He uh, answers the door and he's got this faux hawk and everything, you know? And I'm like, this is the guru. <laughs> so I had no idea what was going on. But we sat in the living room and we began to speak. And it was just a really, there was like a, it was like a vortex is the best way to describe it. Something about the energy in that space. And I couldn't describe it here, which was strange. But I felt just a, a very profound sense of calm and connection. And other people showed up for the retreat and we went down into the basement um, and sat down for guided meditation the first round. And I, I don't really know how to describe what happened, but it was as if I had completely left my body within maybe two minutes of sitting. And it was, um, it was more intense than any kind of psychedelic drug I had ever done in my life. It was just gone. And, um, suddenly I hear like a, a singing bowl or one of those uh, bowls play. And I, I'm like suddenly in the body and an hour had gone by and it felt like I was maybe in that state for a couple minutes. It was very, very interesting. And as I was looking around, there was a lot of this color and it was very much like being on some kind of psychedelic. There was kind of a glow to everything that light was hitting. And there was a very pronounced notice of nothing being processed or judged or narrated at all. It was just gone. It was just kind of being there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty intense moment that there's, there's some other things that kind of transpired, but it, it, it started deepening on its own from that point. Things started to kind of reveal themselves, so to speak. So the, I think that a a lot of folks, uh, and I know that uh, this this was my take on the spiritual understanding for many years, was that it would come like a bolt of lightning and that everything would change. And now I would live in a, this beautiful new world. Mm -hmm. um, you sort of have that story, which isn't always very typical, right? For a, for a, There are a lot of people who chase that very uh and I, I would imagine there's some people who will hear your story and go i need to get to that basement right <laughs> right i've actually heard that a few times yeah right exactly so if you were to kind of put that experience into um the yeah, I mean, every experience can go back to the beginning of the universe, right? But if, if you were to pick a few things leading up to it that were, you, you mentioned the the relationship falling apart. Um, did you see a, uh, or looking back on it, was there some sort of a new approach to looking at your life that was also involved in that. Yeah. Uh, you know, growing up was just relatively speaking, but also I guess generally speaking, pretty, pretty traumatic. Um, my mom was a drug addict. We were homeless majority of my life. Uh, we, um, we didn't even have enough money or food stamps for food. So sometimes we'd be digging in dumpsters to eat half eaten sandwiches at McDonald's and stuff like that. And you know, I watched my mom get beat quite a bit by her boyfriends. And so when I was 11 years old, one of her boyfriends ended up killing her. And by the time I became 18, I, I had bounced around from home to home after that. I had a pretty big sense of um, I need to be bigger, stronger, more aggressive, and, um, and smarter than everyone just to survive. It was, it was clear. There was a belief that was established, but it was reality. And everywhere I'd go, it would be borderline overwhelm and domination of everyone I'd interact with. It was definitely a thing. Um, and then in these interpersonal relationships with women, there was this part of me that was looking for a replacement of having uh, a nurturer, a mother, 
And no matter what they would sacrifice or what they would give, it was never enough. It, I, it was never enough to fill this hole that I was so sure was there. Emptiness, um, a sense of being incomplete. And so the entire story, if you will, the cycle of life was running from trauma, everything I could possibly do to escape from trauma. And it would just show up almost like a vacuum, just wham at the most intense and, and seemingly inconvenient times. And um, up to the point where right before I had met Angelo, I, there was a sense that I had run this whole time and I was exhausted from running. And there was a sense that it was time to go the other direction, to lean into it, to get to know it. And that was pretty scary because I had no idea what lo lies under the surface of that kind of thing. Um, but it felt endless and extremely, extremely painful. And so that was already kind of starting to happen um, for sure. But it still didn't seem to be yielding any results. It was all about results at that point in life. I need to get something out of this. And it just didn't seem to be showing up in that way. So it was like stepping into a sense of resignation. Um, but there is something there. There is something in resignation because there is a very thin veil between resignation and realization. Um, resignation has more of a thought-oriented experience and realization, not so much. And so there was some sort of readiness already kind of put into place. And to be really clear, even though that moment had happened and it was you know, a pretty nice period of a honeymoon, that wasn't the end. There was definitely more shadow to explore in that was it was pretty tough it was it was it was like dying every day yeah yeah um talk to me a little bit about that that sense of emptiness and i know a lot of people uh and this was part of my own experience too was that that sense of emptiness that feels that then we try to fill yeah yeah the there, there was something, there was a sensation there that I needed something to feel complete. I needed something. And there were ideas or beliefs about what it was. Yet, strangely enough, when I would get it or get an excess of that, it still wasn't enough. And so there was this drive to make more of that happen because maybe there, if I just got a little bit more of somebody's willingness to sacrifice for me and love me and nurture me, if I got enough of that, maybe that would be just enough to kind of snap this loose. Yeah. And it was all out here. And it wasn't that there wasn't any kind of introspection or internal work. There definitely was, but it always had a tinge of self-judgment. It was always something associated with being utterly broken that my childhood had ruined me as a human being, even working with therapists. It was this, you know, a lot of them had said, well, trauma rewires your brain. So this is a lifelong thing. And I had just kind of resigned myself to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you have had substantial trauma in your life. You know, I, Gabor Mate talks about We've, we're, we've all had trauma, some it's trauma with a capital T, some it's trauma with a small T, but there's, we all have trauma in our life. You've had some capital T trauma. When, for people who are moving through their own trauma, say with therapy uh, and working on that sense of emptiness trying to figure out how to move past that discomfort what what do you in, from your experience of of ha having that that rewired brain and then coming to a new realization about who you were are um what what was that process like and what to what extent do you see that residual rewired brain uh that that the therapist talked about um as either a, a a hindrance or a help or something completely different yeah um so it, it kind of became clear that there were a lot of layers involved it it was it just approaching it, it felt natural to kind of approach it 
whatever seemed to be showing up. And it, the, the clarity that was there is whatever was there to be felt just needed to be felt. There was no way around it. And, and that kind of clarity was, was life-changing because there was always a sense that I could alter that experience or cover it up with something and then it would go away. But it was actually really clear that, that it wasn't ever going to go away unless it was felt. And it's not that it ever goes away anyway, but the relationship with it began to change because it was a definite no. It was something that did not want to know at all. And um, because there was so much narrative surrounding it too. Oh, this is why I am worthless. This is why I am unlovable. This is why everyone leaves me, all these things. Um, and so, you know, at some point there was a, a kind of an exploration of the story, things that happened in childhood. And really what started to arise was just going through that story a little bit was just a tool to get more in touch with what was being felt. And to just allow myself to feel as helpless as I felt as a young kid when I had no control over these things that were happening in this life. And I became, it was like I, I started aging in reverse. It's what it was like. And I started becoming that little boy again, that skinny little redheaded kid that was just feeling blasted by life all the time and allowing that feeling just to come up and allow it to destroy this mechanism that's saying, I will, I will overcompensate. Something began to break loose. And it was more about a fixation on what I need to do in order to hide this. It was more along the lines of this is always there and it shall be known. And um, it's not quite formulaic in anything other than you, we must feel what is there to be felt. And that's it. And yeah, the story is an accessory and it's, it's a powerful accessory. It can be embellished, but it's still just a tool to get in contact with what is here. And it wasn't like feeling in the past. It was like feeling all the way into this. And there were a lot of layers there. There were a lot of layers there, but I have to say every time one of those layers was approached, there was this sense of utter and complete catharsis upon just feeling it. And Maybe it seemed like it would return sometimes, but every time it was approaching it in the same way. And it wasn't like a sense of welcoming it, but it also wasn't a sense of rejecting it. It was, it's here. And so am I just like that. Yeah. Yeah. When the discomfort of that comes as well, when it's that, that, that moment when we sort of can choose resistance and say, you know, I actually want to zone out, or I want that. I when we go, I want something other than what is. What what's worked for you to to move through that in a way that doesn't uh, doesn't continue that hard no, that, hmm. that allows that that acceptance. Yeah, this this part is very subtle, but there was an intuition is the only way to describe this. There was an intuitive movement and spontaneous movement toward addressing and just feeling what is felt, or sometimes it was moving naturally toward taking a break. It was just seemingly happening on its own, but it was full engagement with what seemed to be a uh, a pull or an energy or a voice, so to speak. It was something guiding. It was like being guided by a divine hand. And so sometimes there were breaks taken. Sometimes there was, um, you know, hours of Netflix watched or video games being played. But when that was done, there was also a leaning just naturally without any thought needed right back into what was there. And it wasn't always there in the same way. Sometimes it was absolutely hilarious. Sometimes it was approaching the, this sense of something that could be painful and it turned into laughter and just allowed it to be. It didn't have to be anything that, that was thought or preconceived. It just was what it was. And I know that part because of the subtlety, it can be challenging for people, but it's, it's definitely there for all of us. It, it, there doesn't have to be a thought that guides this part of the journey. It's happening on its own and we just let it. And maybe it was a step into this sense of innocence, or maybe it was a step into a sense of allowance to be 
to feel helpless in the experience was part of engaging with it entirely. I became entirely helpless. I was moved like a feather in the wind. I was a, I was a pattern of weather and man, it was vivid. And what a bright and beautiful journey it was. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a beautiful way of putting it. Uh, and I, I see that that aligns with my own experience, really, that that there, there is a subtlety that when we're really when, when the story feels like who we are, that mm. subtlety is obscured by what feels like the reality of the story. But you don't understand. This happened mm. to me. I'm never going to not be able to stop thinking about this. I And we we reinforce and reinforce and reinforce that story as a way of almost like a protection, you know, mm. from that pain. That, that if I tell the story, then somehow I can find another way around it. And there does come this moment where you have to, that yes the story is true but you have to loosen the attachment to it and it sounds like that was where you went with that you're like okay I've, yes i've had all this horror i don't want to revisit any of this or these feelings but you had an intuition that the way through was to go that way is that kind of what i'm, I'm that's what i'm yeah. taking from this and saying? and you know here's something maybe that's more concrete um when there was a certain point I was uh, spending time around Thanksgiving with extended family. And, you know, it was always like such a special time of year for me because my birthday is always around Thanksgiving. And it was like a, a way to like, I don't know, connect with these family members. And in this particular, at this time, I had told a story about being a young boy running around the apartment that I had been living in while my mom was making this pineapple upside down cake. And because of my high activity, apparently the cake had fallen. And what the memory was is that my mom was extremely cruel and mean to me because I made the cake fall. And I remember recounting this story and my family members individually unanimously said, because they were there at the time and they were like, that it did not happen that way. And that was such a huge revelation that, holy shit, how much of these memories are even accurate in the first place? And how accurate are they? And that gave a, just a little bit of room to say, maybe, maybe these memories, it maybe that's, there's not much truth to there to that at all. And maybe I don't need to attach to that because it's not as concrete as it seems. And that was just enough of an opening where it was, it, it was just easier to let go of the story because it didn't seem accurate in the first place. And I believe them. They, they were very adamant. They, they, and they had no, they had no stake in the story, but they're like, that's not really actually what happened. That's not how we remember it. And all these people remember it in a totally different way that she was actually gentle and sweet with me. And I'm like, wow, that's, um, that's powerful how narrative can shift an entire definition of a person and relationship with his mother and all these things. Cause that was a major moment. That's at that point in my life. Yeah. Yeah. We, we don't have accurate memories at all. I mean, like that's, that's been scientifically proven and the story can, our, our story can change so much in the retelling. It's like, we have the, uh, our own personal telephone game, right. Going on with the, we're, we tell ourselves and then we tell it again and uh, something changes and it just gets added to the story. So um, I'm curious with w when, uh, when you work with people now who are, who are looking to, go more deeply to more deeply explore who they take themselves to be what's some of the what are some of the things that that you find people uh people get confused about or 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 fixated on that uh, like maybe just some some tips for people who are who would like to uh, to explore their own present moment experience, sort of loosen up their attachment to their story. Um, what, what sort? Because you work with a lot of people, what sorts of things 
do you see, if any, and what what kind of uh, maybe tips would you have for people who wanted to start loosening their own attachment to their story, understanding who they are beyond that? Yeah, I mean, much like you, this <clears throat> this journey toward complete authenticity or what we could just call truest nature that it's so it's so crucial it's so crucial for us to recognize these aspects of us that are just immutable they are unchangeable they just are what they are and they can look like a variety of different aspects but um in in working with somebody it that's one of the things that we can start looking at immediately another thing that seems to show up is how the thoughts and the mind is creating an object of what this leads to and what is happening now. Because the best teacher, plain and simple, is life itself and our engagement with life. And really what that looks like, full engagement, is feeling what there is to be felt while also just being aware of thoughts. That kind of engagement keeps us in a present state that doesn't allow us to enter into a state of obscurity. It's funny. It's like um, the identity seems to be this mechanism that is saying, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Truly, it's it's very much Wizard of Oz. So if we can actually see it in real time, then that is evidence that we are completely engaged in the moment. But if we are somehow taken and reactive in our experiences, then what happens is we tend to be um, part of a mechanism. We be We become part of a pattern rather than who we truly are. And so, um, yeah, I mean, meeting people exactly where they are and whatever reality seems to be now, even if you know that, um, you know, this isn't quite it or that's just story and you want to reject story, it, it's always a reminder, hey, if story is coming up now, that's what we address now. It's not a big deal. The All the energy you're spending rejecting is actually another way of bypassing and that's to keep you busy. If story seems to be coming up, Let's take a look at it in a most honest way. That is seemingly what it is to meet people exactly where they are. Mm, yeah. And you, you mentioned being with uh, being with what's happening, feeling-wise, sensations in the body, and being with thoughts. Um, I, I hear from people a lot that it's the thoughts that, re that they want to get rid of. I don't want to think about these things. I don't, my mind never shuts up. And almost like there's like an annoying someone in their head who's like, and we've all had this experience. Yeah. <laughs> um, talk a little bit about that process of being with thoughts without identifying with thoughts, if you can. Yeah. I mean, you know, initially it can really help to to just recognize, just see if you can start to recognize how thoughts form. You know, if uh, there was an example, if I were to say the word apple, does it show up as an image? Do you see the word apple spelled out? Is the, what, what shows up in the mind? How does a thought tend to form? That will give a plenty of insight of, you know, what, how this storm and how this train of thought, when you can pay attention, if you can see it right toward the origin, which is, is really useful. Because otherwise, we find ourselves kind of caught up in that um, conceptual space. And it's not that that's wrong either. It's just that that's what we know. This is kind of stepping a little bit more outside the box. That's kind of one of the first things. The second thing is realizing that thoughts are secondary in nature. And what that usually looks like is they're pointing toward an experience that is direct, and then they're reflecting it and creating assumption and interpretation of that experience. And so to have that, just that insight right there can be absolutely groundbreaking for someone because we somehow seem to step into an inertia that is always present that we've been um, putting a lot of energy into ignoring. And that is, this is a secondary experience. Every one of these thoughts is secondary. The only thing that can be primary is that which is felt or how somehow sensed directly. And from there, what begins to happen is there's a, a very simple method. Every thought is a cue or a reminder to feel just like that as often as possible. And then we begin to have a realization that I'm always feeling. I think I've always been feeling. Feeling is something that cannot be changed or adjusted. It just is. And then we might even start to have another realization that this thought is coloring the experience of this feeling. This feeling that feels like sadness 
seems to be all associated with thought. Because when I look at the actual individual sensations, I don't see sadness there. It's just sensation. And from there, it becomes a lot more interesting. So it might feel like an oscillation at first, but it's really important not to enter into a state of reactivity when it comes to thoughts, to feel this like disgust or this want to push away, because that's exactly how thought works in the first place. It's a resistance and it's an avoidance to something that it, that is direct. And so it's baiting you to engage with it in a way that's reactive. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's really good. That's really good. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it is that, you know, that, that identity, like Gret coming to the fore and saying, I, I got this, I got this. <laughs> We're going to fix this with thought. And the same, the same thing that is making the problems is they're rushing right in as the hero to solve the problems. Um, and when we go to the sensation, we see, wait, there's no problem. That's it. Just like that. I mean, the simplicity can be maddening if we're caught up in that thought space, because how the hell could that be is what the thoughts keep saying. How is that possible? It's this simple. There's no way. It's got to have a method. It's got to have a practice that's like vast. I, I have to disassociate more with the body. And some some spiritualities do say it's not the body. And maybe there, there's a cultural relevance there, but it's also probably historical re relevance those particular traditions didn't develop in modern society where we have an epidemic of people that just won't engage with what they feel. It's, we live differently. So maybe at that time, it actually did serve a purpose, but as time has changed, there's been a different mechanism at play. And, and when, when we look at where we're going as a society with this whole um this the thinking that we are our thoughts and that that if if we can just change the world enough to make us happy then that's going to that's going to fix all this suffering yeah <laughs> suffering i mean this really it kind of all comes down to that and that you, you mentioned spirituality too. And we haven't actually even used that word yet um, in this conversation, which is, I, I think the, the, the deeper my experience of what is goes, I, I don't see a spirituality. I see, an, an, for lack of a better word, a naturality. That there mm -hmm. is that there is nothing outside of just there. There's nothing to believe. There's nothing to to be. There's nothing to see. There's there's no like special place to go to find it. Yeah, and there seems to be a lot of this kind of talk, uh, mm -hmm. like non-duality uh, awakening, mm -hmm. is very much couched in a lot of spirituality as as if if I just sit with my legs crossed long enough and if I hold my hands in exactly the right way, then the switch will flip. I'll have the spiritual me instead of just the mess that's here now. It really... And, and this is just, again, my own experience, but there's no difference between the spiritual me the mess that is here now the that it is it's it's of a piece and what I'm, I'm curious what's what's your experience around spirituality been yeah and kind of and in getting to to know your own true nature deeper what if any has, has that how if any if at all has that factored in i i really really like the way that you just expressed that because that Ultimately, we find that they're the same, but until we have that realization, then whatever is here, whatever works for you, that's that's the path. And so I think I think this is what it shows up as. When we get so present, when we're engaged with whatever, I mean, intuition is mysterious. I don't, I I can't understand what it is here, but it's definitely felt. No clue what it is. And I think that's that essence of spirituality that can often be misconstrued. Whatever this absolute connection with the moment is, 
is impossible to comprehend through this mechanism of mind. It just can't be completely known. But that doesn't necessarily make it magical or other either. It's strange that way. It's like its own paradox. So really, naturality, spirituality, what's the difference? Truly, and the path toward full authenticity is somehow paradoxically the path toward no self. Just like recognizing every aspect of identity and ego is to begin to see nothing there at all. So that's what's so interesting about this is doesn't really matter the approach. It just matters that you are examining the most honest experience that you have in the most honest way. And that is a natural experience that is natural in here all the time. And it's tangible and tangible and tangible until maybe it's not. But the point is, we just can't know what's unknown and unknowable. And that maybe that's where the spiritual aspects come in. But it's when we have a sense that spirituality is something other or higher or whatever, that's where we're missing the point. We are made of this. We can't be separate at all. So it cannot be other or separate. It cannot be in the future. It is only in this very instant. And yeah, it's completely natural. And yeah, right now it's completely tangible until maybe it's not. Well, you know, I, I, in my own life, I went through a, a long period of atheism that was all about resistance. There is no nothing. What is here is here. This is this is just this is it. it's just yeah. carbon-based stuff it's things it's all things and some of these things move and talk and some of these things don't but it's things and i think that the biggest realization that i i i still wouldn't i still don't use the word god nor do i feel a a presence that i would call god uh, but i also don't experience things anymore that there, that that intuition, that ephemeral—you can't put a—you can't describe it. Mm. It, it is closer to what everything appears to be made out of now. Yeah. And if we go back to to the beginning, like I was talking, all stories start at the beginning of the universe. <laughs> there is dust, which is where we're headed. everything is dust this computer that is in front of me was things that were alive at some point and it is an event now of the conglomeration of those things that will once again be dust someday just like me just like you just like anyone who's listening to this so it isn't even that the the live things are different than the dead things everything is dust and that there is something strangely spiritual about I, I, the way I describe it. I think it sounds kind of nihilistic and weird sometimes, but <laughs> there, there is something that is that goes beyond things and experience. And you know, like I am a person. If I touch you and you are a person, we are two th- things. People touching, yes, but there is there's this something about that separateness that perspective of separateness that somehow i'm not a part of everything that Mm. uh that was lost and that was also the the key to keeping that whole atheist uh worldview alive for so long is that i am separate Mm -hmm. and i'm curious if what that experience might have been like in your own life of of separation and non-separation and um and where you see that in all of this well i mean definitely can relate to the sense of um, atheism agnosticism atheism agnosticism it was just like its own oscillation for a long time um there there seemed to be some kind of hunger for something else but there also wasn't anything to verify something else. And I think there is a clue in that. There is nothing else, but that was the assumption that there's something else out there. How about something that I'm just not perceiving here, you know? Um, But yeah, absolutely. It's, um, you know, there's really no way to describe it, but maybe it's something that we just we can't experience until we experience it. Or maybe it's something, whatever this all is, it's so ubiquitous, it's just easily overlooked. 
What what I can point to though is it seems to be another sense. Like if we spend time with thought, we have a sense that these there's these thoughts occurring. It's almost like its own sense. So we have these five, what we could just call physical senses. And then we have thought as another sense. What if there's more sense there? What if you can sense something else? What if there's something that's always there? You just really don't put your finger on. And that's what seemed to really start to reveal itself. There's something felt that wasn't the body, nor was it the sense of thought. And that became the loudest sound in the room, so to speak, became the the most vivid color in anything that could be seen. And that was so strange because it was so subtle at first, but there was something there. I just didn't know what it was. And to this day, still can't describe it. It just, it, words don't work with it, but we can feel it. That's for sure. And maybe it's that interconnectivity of all the fact, the fact that we're all just stardust, star stuff. I don't know, but it's, definitely there yeah yeah that's a great way to put it um there and it becomes so it's like everything else fall falls away as the as the appearance of reality changes in that realization of that of almost like what we don't know can't see which it's it's so paradoxical so hard to put words to but there is this um it's it's almost like go to this place that you can never that you've never left right. you have to tell somebody go to this place that you've never left <laughs> what um paradox is a good way to put it eric for sure and um I guess it would make sense to also point out that there's something there and maybe nothing there. I mean, it is that kind of a paradox. It's like this blinking in and out of existence constantly. And it seems like everything seems to be this way. Um, even the story that we tend to tell with the the creation of this universe, the big bang, or even if you're a creationist, it's just, well, who created God? He created himself. In other words, there was nothing, then there was everything. Right. That connection there, it seems to be everywhere. So if there is anything here, it's made of nothing. Hmm. Interesting. Mind can't grasp that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yet there is, the, you know, it's, it's like, like uh, you write beautiful haikus. It's, it is, there's this poetic part of, and, and, and I do think that poetry and stories can lead us to these places of making a paradox spring to to life, creating something out of nothing, much like what you were talking about, the experience of, of reality can kind of be like, or our true nature is this, mm. it's something from nothing. Mm -hmm. And um, and I, I, I've always in my own life felt drawn to stories for for that 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 out of just nothing words mm. you can create an understanding a sense that goes so far beyond those words but doesn't ha you know like it isn't about the words and mm. uh, mm -hmm. yeah i i, I don't know. <laughs> I love that. This is this is the part where we talk about uh, talk a lot about nothing. <laughs> I mean, it really seems to be all nothing. But you're right. There's whatever this human experience of story is. There in and yeah, that seems to be created from nothingness. Man, what a fun game though! Like, what what a delightful, beautiful human experience. I mean, the the fact that a a story can elicit tears. The fact that a story can elicit laughter, there's something so beautiful and poetic about just that. So I'm with you. It's um, it's it's just beautiful. And and even if it doesn't really have meaning underneath it, and it doesn't have to have anything concrete, it's still a very beautiful um, piece of transmission. It seems. Yeah, yeah. It's it's almost like that nothing speaking. Yeah. Yeah, you know, without without using the big G word, I mean, 
We could say though, it's like, this is what the voice of God would sound like. And I'm not talking about like a dude in the sky. I'm not talking about Santa Claus with lightning bolts. Uh, It's everything, everyone, every piece, every breath. And to just get a notion of that one time will absolutely change everything. Just, just to taste it in, in real time without anything interfering. That's, that's poetry. Yeah. Yeah. And it does, it also, I think going back to that word, natural, my naturality word, the, the, it does feel very much like a natural uh, evolution's not the word I'm looking for, but a um, unfolding of who we are as people. There isn't something strange or like you need to get used to it or there's this, oh, of course, you know, uh, I, I know for me that there was this sense of like, wow, I I just was, you know, like when I, I think when I graduated from college and was like living as an adult out in the world and my childhood was behind me and I was like, okay, this is nothing like I thought it would be, but it feels right. Like now I'm a grown up now. And this has a little bit of that same feeling of like oh i am like i wonder if maybe in in older societies if if this wasn't the the natural evolution of coming to these realizations of 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 unity versus separation of of this experience this this experience of life it feels so natural that it seems so few people embrace in our culture but that in other cultures it it hasn't always been that way um is was there any of that for you that's a beautiful way to put it uh there's definitely a notion an intuition that abs this is absolutely natural absolutely this is this is what we're how we're made how we're designed whatever that even means but it just feels completely natural and yes it feels as if our ancestors definitely had access to this in a way that maybe seems a little bit different for us now um but there yeah it just th- this is this is stepping completely into what is natural and oh and and looking at where we're rejecting what is most natural for us because it's almost like the identity is a voice that becomes cultural even or um you know based on, on cultures and countries about rejecting our most natural selves. And that rejection seems to be a very major crux of suffering. It's uh, it certainly was for me, you know, it was what the, the, the exact same life situations now it, it exist without the exact same suffering. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a hard thing to explain to someone what that means, what Mm -hmm. letting go of suffering means Mm -hmm. because it gets wrapped up with so many other things. But I do think that it frees us also to, to be here for others who, who are suffering or who aren't, um, say it's like a it's like a a a light that we can share with other people to say hey we you don't have to live this way if it isn't if it's working for you great if you like what you're doing and the and life is you know the, the amount of suffering in your life doesn't feel so bad and everything's wonderful great but if you feel like there could be another way of doing this let's follow that and see what it is, what that means for you. Yeah. And that to me is the, is the most interesting part of working with people and their stories and their sort of desire to know 
who they truly are mm. that it it becomes this if you know you know like like yes i want that i don't i i tried other people's answers i tried to find my own answers i i want to just go deeper into seeing who i am i'm ready you know and it's like when you're ready there's there's almost nothing that can keep you from from that because it is it's already there yeah I, I beautifully put actually um you know it seems like the majority of humankind is in a state of survival when it's not needed some some people it is of course of course yet that's that's a really good question to ask do i do i need to live like i need to survive right now right here do i need to feel like i need to protect myself from what those particular questions it's just curiosity itself and you're you're so right this isn't this isn't maybe not for everyone that's okay if you're happy then you don't need to tap into this but if there's something underneath that you just have a sense of something and you feel it it's probably why why you're here and yeah you you mentioned in a, in a previous interview i think about passing the torch mm, such a human experience this sharing this being able to seemingly give to another way and that's all it is it's it, this is available nobody is doomed and the mind will always tell you that you're unique something's different about you and it's just you can't get there that it will always say that and i guarantee that somebody's hearing that right now going oh yeah that, i've had that particular doubt that's just what it's designed to do because it thinks it's protecting you from something that's all yeah it's like an autoimmune thing where if you have an autoimmune disorder it's a, your immune system going haywire and going after things that really don't need to be gone after. That's kind of how the the identity is too. It's protecting to such a degree that now it's creating reasons to protect that just don't exist at all. Yeah. It's a dragon protecting a pile of gold it can't use. <laughs> or it's like that Eckhart Tolle, you know, the, about the homeless man sitting on a box. And then somebody finally comes up to him and says, have you ever looked in the box? And when he opens the box, it's filled with gold. It's, it's much the same. Yeah. Oh, Josh, it's always so wonderful to chat with you. I love your spirit, uh, what you bring to this, uh, the space, to your expression, your authentic expression. It's just beautiful. And um I really appreciate you having this conversation with me. I think a lot of people will get a lot out of it. I know that a lot of the folks who are kind of, who are working on the awaken your myth, kind of looking at, looking at our stories, bringing mindfulness to it um, are going to get a lot out of this. And um, your website is at so-awake.com. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. Okay. So people can get in touch with you there. And then you are the same on the socials, I think. Yeah, uh, let's see. I think on Facebook and Instagram, there's two O's with no dash. Like, so awake. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. I'll, um, I will put links in, uh, in the show notes for this. So Awesome. Is there anything that you wanted to add uh, before we um, close out today? I know you, you've got a busy day ahead of you. Just, um, just grateful. Uh, thank you. And, um, it's always so nice to share space with you, my friend. Yeah. Likewise. Likewise. Take mm -hmm. care. We'll talk yeah. soon. All right.